Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. This week, our portion is Lech Lecha, and we're getting into the story of Abraham. Actually, last week, the, the Torah introduced us to Abraham, but this week, we really get into full swing and getting into his story. And <clears throat> one of the big questions we're going to look at today is, why did God choose Abraham? That becomes, that's one of the questions that's been asked through the ages, and Today we'll, we'll dig in a little bit to that. But let's start in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. <clears throat> at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So <clears throat> we see here that God called him to leave Haran and to head into the land of Canaan. And once he arrived in Canaan, God says, I'm going to give this land to you. All right. But let's go back to our question of why did God choose Abraham, right? If we, can, we often talk about how God chose Abram because Abram would raise his children up in the ways of the Lord, right? That's a, that's a key aspect. And that is an aspect of uh, what we see. For example, if we read in Genesis 18, 19, the scripture says, For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his, ho his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the... Actually, hang on, stay on this one here. That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So this translation here is the ESV. There are several translations that go along this line of saying, For I have chosen him, that he may command his children, so the Lord may bring about what he had promised. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say, I've chosen him. It actually says, for I have known him, okay? Which is different, you know, that I, I have known him versus I have chosen him. Because if you say, oh, I've chosen him, it sounds like God just said, yeah, uh, um, you, you know, you're going to be the one. But instead, what, he, what the scripture is saying is, I know him. I have, I have seen Abraham's life. I have been in relationship with him to know the character that he possesses, to know 
the desire of his heart and how he has positioned his heart before me. And I know based on that, that he will teach his children after him to know the way of the Lord and to walk in it. Not just to know it, but to walk in it. Because there's a difference between knowing the way of the Lord and actually experientially knowing the way of the Lord. <clears throat> and that's the that's really the Hebrew, uh, one of the connotations within the Hebrew word yada, to know, is it's an experiential knowing. It's not just a, a fact-finding aspect. It's the difference between having, uh, you know, you have two kinds of energy, well, you probably have multiple, but anyway, let's say with this, you start out with potential energy. You have a, something that's high up on a shelf that's got a lot of potential energy because it can fall and pick up momentum, but once it begins to move, that becomes kinetic energy, becomes actualized, the potential becomes realized. So there's one thing to know and have potential, but then there's another thing to do and to see the effect of that potential becoming a reality in this world. And Abram was one who would actually do according to the will of the Lord and to walk after him <clears throat> and, and seek God by faith. So, and then one of the key things here too, even it says that so the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him, right? God's desire was to fulfill his word and his promises to Abraham, but it was going to require Abraham to walk with him such that God could pour out the blessings that he desired to give. <clears throat> so now last week when we went through the portion of Noah, we talked about how it was a recreation that was taking place. God destroyed the earth, but then he was recreating the earth very much in the same pattern that he had created the heavens and the earth the first go around. And what had happened is there had been 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And during that time, mankind had failed in their mission and their call that God had given them. So God said, I'm going to destroy the earth and I'm going to bring a people through who I will start over with. And then he, once he brings Noah and his children through, he renews the call to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth. And so you have a recreation and a new people that God is looking to bless the earth, earth through. And the scripture does say that Noah's children and their offspring spread out and they represented all the nations of the earth. Well, then we go through 10 more generations from Noah to Abraham. And once again, mankind has failed. You have uh, the situation where all the people gathered together with one purpose in uh, Shinar to build the tower, right? And then God ultimately confused the languages and spread the people out such that they could not accomplish what their desire was. But God, from this, chooses Abraham and says, okay, from you and your offspring, I'm going to bring up a blessing upon all the world. Just as I intended it for Noah and his offspring, that is not, that is not going the way that uh, it was intended to go. And so now you, Abraham, you're the one that I'm going to bring this up through. And it's because of your character and nature, because of how you've lived, I will put, put these blessings upon you. <clears throat> now, I mentioned that our portion begins, or the story of Noah really begins in last week's portion. And if we look in Genesis 11, 26 to 32, we see the first introduction of Abram. 
The scripture says, When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this is when we see the introduction of the family. Now, if we look at this carefully, here in verse 27 it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, then we know that Haran is the youngest of the three, and Haran has a child named Lot. Okay? <clears throat> this story, or the way that this is written, and even... Well, okay, I'm going to go to this part. Okay, there's many parallels to what we read at the beginning of the portion of Noah. So if we look back in Genesis 6, 9 through 10, the scripture says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Okay, so we have that interjection. But if we skip that interjection, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, Ham was the youngest, and he had a son named Canaan. It becomes integral to the part of the story. So you have a man who had three sons listed as the generations of the man, and the youngest of the three has, a grand, has the grandson of this first one. So you've got the same story here. You have Noah with his three, and then the grandson is mentioned of the youngest. And then you have Terah with Abram, Nahor, uh, Haran, and then Lot, the youngest son. So it's an interesting parallel. Now, at face value, you think, well, okay, that, that could be just a little bit coincidental. But then when you start to go through and look at additional parallels that the scripture plays out, even the way certain parts of the story are written, you begin to see that God's saying, just as I chose Noah to have his offspring go and fill the earth with my light, now I'm choosing Abram. This is a recreation of sorts where God is choosing a people that doesn't represent all of mankind, but that represents a body that God will use to transform the world and bring light to all the nations and blessings to all the nations. <clears throat> and just like in the story of um, Noah, right? You had Ham uh, came under a curse, and because of that, Canaan was cursed, the youngest son. Well, in the story of Abram and his brothers, the youngest dies. Haran dies, and now Lot is left fatherless. Right? And then also to his sisters, no longer have a father either. And so then Abram and Nahor step in and they take Haran's daughters as their wives. So when we read here in the scriptures saying that, um, actually, yeah. Well, when it talked about Milcah, Milcah was one of the daughters of Haran, and Iscah was a daughter of Haran. Okay, Iscah is thought to be Sarai, the one and the same person. 
Okay, and there's there are reasons for this, but um, in fact, let's just take a quick look at one. Um, so Iska means princess. Sarai means my princess. Milka means queen. So the daughters of Haran were queen and princess, right? And then uh, a uh, Abram takes Sarai as his wife, which is believed to be Iska. But one of the things that is noteworthy about that, <clears throat> even in the way that this scripture is, okay, how am I going to say this? Um, all right, so there's a textual clue that this is that Nahor was following Abram's lead in taking his niece as a, as a wife, okay? And I'm going to go somewhere with this, but <laughs> um, so what the scripture says is it says Abram, oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong spot, guys. Okay, so in verse 29 of chapter 11, let's see if I can find this up here. Okay, Abram and Nahor took wives. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward. Abram and Nahor took wives. But the, but the way that the Hebrew is written, it actually says Abram took and Nahor wives to themselves. Now, does that say, okay, so you're like, what? Okay. It's the singular expression of took. It says Abram took, and essentially, and Nahor along with him also took. It wasn't they took. It wasn't Abram and Nahor, they took wives unto themselves. It was Abram took, and Nahor took wives unto themselves. So Abram was following, or Nahor was following Abram's lead in doing this. And that's actually the same way the scripture writes in the story of Shem and Japheth about how they took a blanket and they walked backwards and covered Noah. The scripture says, and Shem took, and Japheth with him took a blanket and covered their father. And who, who got the, the greatest blessing from, from Noah? Shem did, because Shem led with that kindness. Japheth still was blessed, but he was blessed that even that he would serve Shem, okay? And Abram is the one who took the great blessing here. But so Abram took the lead in taking a niece, his niece as a wife and Nahor followed taking a niece as his wife. Now, why would they do this? Right. You think in our day and age, that'd be pretty creepy. Right. Um, in fact, the Torah forbids that. Right. But there's there is something in the Torah that is similar to what's taking place with Abram and it's called leveret marriage. So in the scriptures, it talks about if, a, if two brothers live together, right, or, you know, in close proximity, then if the wife of one dies and he's childless, I mean, sorry, if the, if the brother dies and he was childless when he died, then the closest brother will marry the wife and carry on his name through having offspring, They'll raise up offspring so that the deceased brother will not die. Right, that his line will be carried on through this uh, substitutionary uh, aspect. So, now at this point in time, it, you know what's happening with Abram. 
the commandment of the leveret marriage wasn't given. Also, the commandment of not marrying a near relative had not been given. But there's elements and hints that there may have been something related here where Abram was seeking to bring restoration to his brother who did have, an off, who did have a son, right? But he was also seeking the protection and safeguarding of his brother's offspring. For one thing, they were leaving, they, they were dwelling in Ur of Kazdim, which was a wicked place with Nimrod ruling over it. And they were leaving that place to go to a new land. And so, so he took them to safeguard them. And it's thought that what he was seeking to do was to continue his brother's legacy. Instead of building up a name for himself, he was seeking to build up his brother's name and take care of those who had been less fortunate or who were in a position where they would suffer. Okay. <clears throat> and then so he takes Lot with him. Terah, Abram, Sarai, and Lot, they all leave Ur of the Chaldeans and they begin to head towards the land of Canaan, but they don't make it all the way. They stop in Haran. Now, the Haran that they stopped in is not the same name as Haran the brother. Who would have thunk, right? Because you read it in, on the text, it's H-A-R-A-N, right? But in Hebrew, it's a different first letter. One is Haran. The brother is Haran. The city is Haran. So, I know, I could have had a cool story about what I thought that meant with them being the same name, but unfortunately, I don't have that. <laughs> um, so, all right, so what, it, what took place... Mankind had failed. God was choosing Abram, and God was choosing Abram because Abram had a character that was unique, one that was not in keeping with the rest of the world, right? The world at that time was not so much focused on exalting the God of all creation. Instead, as we mentioned, they had started out in Babel, or it started out in Babel, they started out in Shinar, and they built a tower. Now, let's actually take a look at that scripture here in Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in their land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Right? So they were all together, they were united in purpose, and they came together and said, hey, let's, let's start building. Let's build us a city. And hey, while we're at it, let's go ahead and let's make this uh, up into the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves so we can establish our dominion, our greatness. And it's 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 thought that this was a, a rebellion, an attempt to do war with God in a way to establish their own rule apart from God, to make a name for themselves apart from God. And <clears throat> so then, if the people are all about making a name for themselves, and Abram is about saying, okay, God, I want to worship you even in the midst of darkness, and here I'm setting out on a new adventure, Right? You've called me to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and come to Canaan. Right? And you've made promises to me. Perhaps I'll make a name for myself. But he's saying, I'm going to look out for my brother first. 
I'm going to look out for his offspring first. I'm going to make a name for him, help his name to be perpetuated throughout history. And so God makes a promise to Abram and says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. Now in this day and age, man, and even at the time of what was taking place uh, in Ur of the Chaldeans, people's desire was to be known, to be famous, to make it all about them, to take their talents and to build their own kingdom, right? And when someone even starts out with good intentions and begins to gain popularity, begin to gain a great name, oftentimes the focus turns inwardly and they begin to say, how can I make my name greater? How do I protect my name? It's all about me, right? And so they begin to lose what their original desire and intent was because they get so caught up in their name and the narcissism that follows that. But God said, with Abram, I can trust Abram. He's not one who's going to seek to make a name for himself. He's going to seek to make my name great. And because he seeks to make my name great, I will be able to bless him. I will be able to promote him. And I will be able to accomplish all that I promised and desired through him. Right? And so, <clears throat> as Abram set out to go on his mission, he was continually seeking to make God's great name great and to allow God to make his promotion and take care of him along the way. When Abram came into the land, we read this earlier in Genesis 12. Um, it says when he came to Shechem, he built, he built an altar to the Lord. And then from there, he relocated to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built there an altar to the Lord and invoked the Lord by name. So when he, built, he goes and builds these altars, he's building stone altars, which are permanent altars that he later even can return to and worship there again. And when you look through the land of Israel, you, you find stone altars that have lasted hundreds, thousands of years. Right? He was building a permanent structure unto God. God said, this is the land I'm going to give you. He goes in, he starts building things for God. And what does it say? He pitches his tent. He didn't go in and build a permanent structure for himself. He said, I'm going to build a permanent structure for God. I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to worship him in every place that I encounter him. And me, I'm going to pitch the tent and I'm going to go where God calls me to go, knowing that he's going to establish his promises. It's not for me to go in and say, okay, my land, uh, okay, I'm going to build my castle right here. And maybe once I get done with my castle, then I'll build a little altar out here to God, right? He doesn't go in and stake his claim. He says, no, God, God's presence is ultimately what I'm seeking. God's presence in this place is what will make this place an inheritance worth having. Not just that it's land that we, I can dwell on, right? So everywhere that God appears to him, he builds an altar, a permanent structure, but he himself remains a traveler along the way. And that's what uh, the scripture says in, in Hebrews um, 11. 
We got it somewhere in here. I'm just going to go straight into the Bible. <laughs> okay, it says in Hebrews 11:8, by faith Abraham, when he when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, and in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Right. He was looking for something that was greater than what he could achieve with his hands, what he might be able to build. He was looking to something spiritual. He was looking to this deeper relationship and having God's presence, right? And making a place for God to dwell. Now, along the way, as Abraham sought to do this, he encountered 10 trials, is what the sages count up. Now, the ten trials listed by the sages vary from one to another of what exactly were the ten trials he, he faced. But the ten, here's, here's a list of ten, okay? One was the call, the call to leave his family and his home. Another was the famine that he faced in Canaan and he had to go down to Egypt. When he went to Egypt, Sarah was abducted. And then following that, there was the war with the four kings. And then there was the long wait that he endured for a son along the way, marrying Hagar. Then there was the, the trial of circumcision. Then the second abduction of Sarah. After that, the exile of Hagar after she gave birth. The exile of Ishmael. And then finally, the sacrifice of Isaac. You know, we think about, if you start out just the first verse and it's like, okay, well, by faith Abraham went when God called him. So Abraham didn't know where he was going. I mean, he knew the general direction, right? God said, go to the land of Canaan. He's like, go to a place where I'll show you. And God didn't give him the roadmap of everything that was going to happen along the way. And then Abraham actually had to live through all of these experiences, each time choosing but what is God's will in this moment? How do I walk faithfully to what he's called me to do? And what, it, what he had here, these were heavenly tests that were sent that would ultimately give Abraham the, the ability to prove the potential, right? They weren't tests that were sent to trip him up or to cause him to fail, but God was rather giving him the opportunity to, be, to benefit not only himself, but also those who would later come and hear about the testimony of the life of Abraham, right? And a test is very different from a temptation, right? Because a test is you're intended to pass the test, right? A temptation is you're intended to fail, right? And a temptation in James 1.13, Scripture says, No one is to say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But he does test people to see what they will do, how they will choose, and then he does that in order to provide the ability to give them blessing, to turn their potential into action. Now, as Abram was going along the way, one of the questions we could ask is, well, 
could he have stopped at any point? Yeah. Yeah, he could have stopped along the way, right? Because there's so many times he could have said, this is too difficult. I don't understand why this is happening the way it is. God, I thought you said this, right? And that's part of the issue too. Sometimes when we get our expectations in the way of what God said, it can throw a wrench into things because we start to act based on our expectation rather than on his promise, right? And that's, it's, a, uh, it's walking a fine line there, right? But one of the things that was key and a hallmark to what made Abraham successful is that he remained grounded with the Lord and always going back in that relationship with God and saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow where you go. And I'm each step, I'm going to seek to make your name great. I'm going to bring in the stranger. I'm going to give testimony of who the true God is. And he raised up a lot of people uh, who would know who the true God was, right? So within these aspects of him facing trial, not knowing how they were going to come out, and even being faced with the idea that he could have stopped, <clears throat> but he didn't, no matter what the challenge was, is key. When uh, a number of years ago, I went up to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and at the at their place, they have uh, rooms where they'll give prophetic words, right? They'll listen to the Lord and they will speak what they hear the Lord say. And uh, it's pretty impressive, truthfully. The, uh, at least back when I went, um, there were so many things that were spoken that I even didn't understand in the time, but later on, I was like, oh, now I know what they were talking about. Or, you know, sometimes there are certain things they would say. It's like, okay, that's speaking directly to something that's happening now and you'd understand. But uh, sometimes it was later. Hey, Jared, you were there. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, <clears throat> I'd gone up once and I came back another time. And one of the guys who had given some prophetic words the first time I, I went up, he was the first person I saw when I arrived there the second time. And he began to, to share additional things. And... I'll share a little bit about what he said. This is, um, he, was, he was speaking directly to the things the Lord was wanting to accomplish in my life at that time. And one of the things that was very key and a real focus at that point in time was uh, David's healing. And um, when I was talking to this guy, he was, he was well aware of that. And um, he was sharing various things. And he says, the enemy is going to put up obstacles and a wall in front of you. And when you get to the wall, if you're going to stop, that's where the, if you stop, that's where the end will be. But the Lord wants to call you past that and through that onto more. Right? He says there's a product that's being built and that's your life, ministry, faith, and relationship with the Lord. God has a purpose and the purpose is worth the wait and the trial and the struggle, right? Now, when you look at the life of Abraham, God says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a nation. Your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to give this land to your offspring, right? God could have just done it right then. There is nothing that would stop God from just being, being able to do anything, right? 
nothing is impossible with God. Now, he had his reasons for why he was going to, to wait. He had, and some of those were within the aspect of what am I developing in Abraham? What am I developing in his family? How am I laying the groundwork for not just for him, but for generations that will follow, right? Because it's more, our lives are about more than just us and our finite time here on this earth, right? Within us are the seeds of generations that follow. Within us is the ability to influence and affect others such that in their lives, fruit comes forth that will affect not only their life, but others and generations to come. And so God is building something, a tapestry, far more complex than we could ever imagine. And he's got his intentions and reasons for all that he's doing along the way. The, the question is, what are we going to do? What's our response going to be? Is it going to be, wait a minute, hang on. God, you said this, and I'm supposed to have the big house and the big you know, whatever it is you say, and so now I'm going to go get that. Okay, you're not getting it done. I'm going to go get it done. Because you said my name's going to be great. I'm going to make my name great. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Huh? You making your name great is not the way it works. <laughs> you make God's name great. And then he prospers you and makes your name great. And the goal is not for your name to be great. The goal is for his name to be great throughout all the earth, such that all will proclaim his majesty. Now, he uses a great name for people to accomplish that purpose to an even greater degree than if they didn't have a great name, right? So even when he told Abram, he said, Lech lecha, go for yourself. Go for yourself to a land I'll show you. Now, I mean, that sounds kind of self-centered, right? But it's like, no, it is going to be for your good. Go for your good into this land I'm going to show you. I will make your name great. I will make your name great. And, and Abram kept the focus. Through, through his faith, he was able to persevere. All right. Um, now, earlier I talked about, like, why didn't he build a permanent home, right? Why, why did he go around in tents? Because if you were to look at counsel we might get today, you might say, hey, look, you were promised this thing. Man, just take hold of it. Go get it. And, and I will say, there is something to taking an active role in walking out God's plans and purposes. I'm not, taking, I'm not saying, look, we just sit back and we just wait for, for God to do, right? Because we don't. We actively participate with him. The, but is our active participation taking the reins or is it following his lead, right? And so um, Abram was going through. He wasn't taking the reins. He was following God's lead. And so he, taking the reins would have been building a permanent home. Following God's lead was pitching his tent and saying, where to next? Where to next? <clears throat> and one of the things is that, um, that the... Like, so Abram's saying, okay, well, I want my land and I want a house on it. And that would have been focusing on that which is temporal as opposed to that which is eternal, right? That which is 
that which is temporary versus that which is going to last for a long time. And sometimes when we get too focused on the temporal, we begin to lose sight of what the original intent and purpose was. And uh, Heather likes to read the Little House on the Prairie books to the kids. And there's a quote that she's repeated multiple times that I think is relevant here. And I can't remember the character who said this. For some reason, I'm thinking it's Pa said this, but I'm not, not positive. Anyway, what they, what they said is the trouble with organizing a thing is that pretty soon folks get to paying more attention to the organization than to what they are organized for. Right? So the trouble with organizing a thing is that pretty soon folks get to paying more attention to the organization than what they're organized for. And you know, just think about that in terms of where we are and what we've talked about Emmaus Road's vision being, right? That we would make a sanctuary for God. And you know what? I'd really like to have land. I'd really like to have a building of our own, right? But if that becomes the focus, if the land and the building becomes the focus, then we've forgotten what we're organizing for, right? Because we're not organizing for land and for a building. We're organizing for the presence of God dwelling in our midst, in us, in our families, and in our congregation, right? Why? Well, because His presence is transforming. His presence transforms us, transforms the region, transforms the world. And so, along the way, He gives us various blessings, various promises, uh, various things that we'll need in order to be able to go and accomplish the purpose of spreading out, subduing the world, bringing all people to the knowledge of who the one true God is, right? And the more that he blesses people, the more risk he's taking that, again, they'll take that and they'll twist it and try to make it their own. I remember this has come to my mind a few times uh, this morning, so I'll share it. Um, I don't remember how many years ago. It's probably 10 years ago. I, I had a dream, and in the dream... There were people around, and there was this cylindrical, clear tube that had some kind of a liquid within it. And somehow, I guess I was able to take hold of it, and it would swirl, and like miracles would be performed. Okay? And, and people saw it, and it was, it was amazing what was going on. It was really interesting. And then people began to say, Hey, do this with it. Do that with it. And then I had the ability to manipulate it according to what I wanted to see happen. Okay, there was one aspect where I, it was first. It's just like I take hold of it and all these things happen, right? And there's some aspect of taking hold of it and seeing those miracles. But then there's the now I can control it. And I could do what I wanted with it. And as I did, the liquid got smaller and smaller and smaller until there was almost no liquid in the cylinder. Why? It's because I tried to make my name great instead of saying, God, look what you're doing. Look what you can do. This was just a dream, guys. But, <laughs> but it was a warning. It was a warning of, look, I'm going to give you something. What are you going to do with what I'm going to give you? Are you going to use it for my purposes? Are you going to use it according to my desire? Or are you going to use it according to yours? to accomplish your purposes and your desires, because if you do, you'll destroy it. Because it's not about your name. It's about God's name. It's about God's work in the earth.
And so next week, as we look, continue to look through the story of Abraham, we, we're going to come to the story of the Akedah, the, the binding of Isaac, so, which is the, the ultimate test given to Abraham. Right, because here God has said, I'm going to make your name great. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. And the offspring is going to come through you. And not only just through you, it's through you and Sarah. Right, so it's specifically Isaac. And so when Abram is 100 years old, he has Isaac. And then many years later, God calls him to offer his son up on a mountain that God will show him, right? And when God asks him to do this, he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. He's very explicit. This is the one, he's your only one, the one you love, and offer him up. And when he's doing that, he's asking Abraham to give up his legacy. He's asking Abraham to give up the great name that he was promised, right? Because it was through his offspring that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And his offspring would be numerous, right? But now he says, no, give that back to me. And so Abraham comes to a, a point where he has to empty himself of everything and become obedient even to the point of death. Does that sound familiar? Right? He has to come to the point, he has to empty himself of everything that he thought was his and his name and his son whom he loves and what, God, what he believed God was going to be doing with him, even to the point of giving up that dream to death. And so with this, you clearly have the picture of Yeshua, right? You have the picture of Isaac being offered up on the altar, being a picture of the one son offered up. But also within Abram, Abraham being willing to give up everything, you have the picture of Yeshua, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, And Yeshua's whole life, his whole life was dedicated to making God's name great and to turning people back to the Father. He didn't set out to make a name for himself. In fact, if we were to look at what happened very early on in his ministry, right? The Spirit comes upon him, he gets driven into the wilderness. And in Matthew 4, we have the temptation that he faced. And let's look at what this temptation is, right? Yeshua was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So right there, what's your identity? What's your name? How about you prove your name? Why don't you make a name for yourself right now and turn these stones into loaves of bread? But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. 
and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Yeshua said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Yeshua said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Yeshua's answer was, you know, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Him only, only his name will you make great. Right? Because Yeshua, here he is, he's the Messiah, he's the son of God. Make your name great. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you your name. I'll give you your land. I'll give you your kingdom. He says, no, I'm not here to make my name great. I'm here to make God's name great. And that's what he says in John 4, 34, when he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Right? And Yeshua says additionally that everything he does, he only does what he sees the father doing. He's always following God's lead. He's not taking the reins. And even in our uh, gospel reading this week in John 8, 54, he said, if I glorify myself, what is that? That's nothing. It's God who glorifies me. All right. <clears throat> now, even with the temptation, interestingly enough, even his brothers joined in. You know, we read about uh, the adversary coming. But in John 7, 2 through 5, now the, feast of the, now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. So the brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one does, works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Right? So he had it on all sides of, hey, come on, go make yourself, go make your name great if you're such a big shot. Yeshua says, no. Y'all go on up. I'm going to come up discreetly, right? And so again, he's all about God's name. So he gives us this example. Now, I stopped reading in Philippians 2. Okay, so I talked about how he became, how he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That was the end of verse 8. But then you pick up in verse 9. And what does the scripture say? It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Yeshua Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gave Yeshua the name that is above every name because of how much Yeshua humbled himself to make God's name great and to look out for people who couldn't look out for themselves. Remember how Abram was looking out for Haran's children, taking care of Lot, marrying Sarai, taking care of those who themselves couldn't take care. And then Yeshua comes and does it to an even greater degree and he receives the name that is above every name. Right? It's a beautiful picture that we see in the life of Yeshua, in the life of Abraham, of how we're to walk. Right? The scripture says that Yeshua is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the perfect example of our faith, of what should our faith look like. And Yeshua faced many trials, right? 
in all the ways that were afflicted, he was afflicted. Yet he remained faithful in every dimension. He persevered and he came through to accomplish everything that God had given him to do. Right? So within this, we see the reliance on God, the need to continually come before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what next? Where are we going? What are we doing? Are we pitching a tent? Are we building an altar? Are we building a sanctuary? What are we doing? Whatever it is, it's in seeking God's presence over the blessing. It's in, in seeking God's presence in our midst and never losing sight of that, always keeping our eyes fixed on Yeshua. And then, will there be trials and tests along the way for each of us? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it, some of us may be going through those even right now, right? Or they may be around the corner, right? After great victories come, come some great challenges, right? But the thing is, God's purpose is to bring about something new within us, to form within us His character, His nature, and to bring forth His purposes in it. So there's a product that's being built and that product is your life, your ministry, your faith, your relationship with the Lord. God has a purpose, and the purpose is worth the wait, the trial, and the struggle. And in Isaiah 40, verse 27 through 31, we're encouraged not to lose hope, right? The scripture says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Lord is our strength. He's the one who preserves us. He's the one who guides us. And he's the one who knows exactly what we need in the moment in order to form within us what he desires so that he can fulfill his promises and purposes in us and through us. Amen. Anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Right up here, Ben. Cherry. I had two things. Um, one is where Abram went through the 10 trials. Um, and it's just like our lives. Every time we're faced with something and we get through it, it strengthens us. And then mm -hmm. the next time it strengthens us, it strengthens us. So the last trial, which would have been the hardest trial to give up his son, he had enough faith in God to say, he got me through all of this other stuff. I know he's got a plan somewhere, but even if the plan is for my son to die, I still trust him. And that's where he, he wants to bring us, is for us to have that kind of faith in him and trust that mm -hmm. he is our creator. And since he created us, he knows what's best for us. Amen. The other thing is that the word tells us to train up a child in the way it should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. So in Abram's life, when he was a young boy, for 39 years, Noah raised him. He stayed with Noah. And you, if you look in the book of Jasher, it tells you that he was there with him. And so he had the raising of righteousness through Noah, 
even though his father was making pagan idols and yeah. stuff. So when he went back to the land, he had knowledge of the Lord and how to live. And mm-hmm. so he was able to overcome. And I think because of that, God saw that he continued in that righteousness to the point to where God called him and said, I have known you and yeah. I'm going to use you to make me known to the world. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. That is key that he had. He learned from, from Shem and Noah. Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. So, um, in a nutshell, we can say that uh, God chose Abram because uh, obviously the Lord was trying to build something, something very significant, and he uses people, but he picked a man that he knew would follow through on all these things that really was very methodical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that's the key. Is he knew that Abram wouldn't try to build a name for himself. Because when that narcissism takes over, that's when things get off kilter. But yet, you know, when, what do we see the fruit from, from Abram? You see Isaac, you see Jacob, right? And people who walked in faithfulness to the Lord. Yeah, amen. Anyone else? thinking about what you were saying about how you um, kind of the product of your life is, uh, you know, whatever it is, kind of how you're walking with God. So I've been um, once in a while, I'll see on the clock, one, two, three, four, or 1234. So I was like, what is that? And uh, so if, when you look at Luke 1234, it says where your for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And it just reminds, so when I think about that, I always remember, okay, wait, what's, what's, what's my priorities? And what's going on in life, you know? Okay. And also that's, there's a song, um, brother Brian McKnight. Whenever I thought my work was done and it started back in one. So all these things that you're doing in your life, right? You're building your time, your priorities, whatever it is. Um, God has got you coming back to him to, to make sure that your treasure is with him, and that's where your time is being spent walking with him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for the strength that you give us and the perfect example you give us of how our faith is to be. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you, on seeking out your presence in a relationship with you above all else. Lord, help us to make your name great and your deeds known in this earth. And Lord, use us according to your good purposes and your plans. We trust, Lord, that your plan and your purposes are good for us. Help us to walk faithfully and to seek your guidance, Lord. We bless you and we thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.